Would you join me tonight in the book of Zechariah? Zechariah chapter 9, and we're going to be examining the last verse of that chapter. That verse of Scripture, chapter 9, verse 17, shares these words. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 17. Now this chapter has been chock full of rich blessings of Christ. That that, uh, ninth verse that we read in the New Testament, the account of it, just chock full of rich blessings. And this whole last part, the fr- well, the whole book has been just chock full of rich blessings. But in this verse it says, For how great is His goodness, and how great is His beauty. Corn shall make the young man cheerful, and new wine the maids. Well, this is a conclusion to this chapter, and if, and I read a couple other translations, and they leave the two he's out of those verses, out of that verse, the two he's. Well, I have to go by context. Sometimes that's the only way that we can answer the question is go to context. So if you'd look at verse 14 with me, it says, and the Lord shall be seen over them. Verse 15, the Lord of hosts shall defend them. Verse 16, and the Lord their God shall save them. I think it is quite apparent who the he is in this verse of scripture. Now, one of the translations put capital letters for the he, and that mm-hmm. I, I think that that would be appropriate. So, for how great is, or excuse me, his, not he, his, how great is his goodness, and how great is his beauty. Now, that word for there gets us uh, uh, to review what has happened before this. Because all this other has happened because he, as it says here, how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. Now, the result of that, as we found in other verses of Scripture in this book and in chapter 9, the result of that is abundance. That's what it means when he says, Corn shall make the young man cheerful, and new wine the maids. We're looking at that from a spiritual application, from a spiritual context, and we find that that, uh, those, those beautiful pictures share with us that in Christ Jesus there is an absolute abundance of grace and mercy. There's no shortage. Everybody is taken care of by the grace of God. Every member of the family of God, every member of the the New Testament church, the Old Testament church combined into one, is completely and totally inundated with the blessings of Jesus Christ the Lord. There's no shortage. So that's what that's telling about, and we'll look at that a little more. All that has happened before is as a result, all these blessings that were bestowed in verse or chapter 9 and, verse, and chapters 1 through 8 up to that point, all of those blessings... All of the grace given, all of the battles fought and won, all of the righteousness imputed, all of the rich blessings of salvation by God are because of what we find here in verse 17. These two phrases that are presented share with us a great deal about our God. Now this word goodness here uh, that's mentioned in the first part of verse 17, this comes to us from, it means a superlative concrete, the best, absolutely the highest, 
concrete. It is in stone. There's no variation here. There's no variance here when it comes to the goodness of God. It is the very best, superlatively concrete the best. So when we're looking at God, we're going to find out that we're dealing with the very best of all spiritual blessings. There is no seeds. There is no grit in the blessings of the Lord. We're not going to knock out a tooth when we chew on the grace of God. We're going to be richly blessed by the grace and mercy, the characteristics and attributes of God are going to be a rich blessing. And everything about salvation is a rich blessing to the believer. As we look at this, we find that there are a number of examples of this word used previously in the Old Testament. And one of these examples has to do with Joseph and his dealing with his family, particularly his father. So would you join me over in the book of Genesis chapter 45 as Joseph uses the same Hebrew word. Now, Joseph was bilingual. Joseph knew Hebrew and he knew Egyptian. And he knows how to talk to his brothers, and he knows how to talk to his father, but he also knows how to talk to the king. Our Lord is a Joseph. He knows us, but he knows the king. He knows how to present us spotless before the king, but he also knows how to converse with us, how to deal with us. So here in the book of of, uh, Genesis chapter 45, as Uh, as Jacob uh, prepares to move down to Egypt. Now, you know, I've asked myself, now, why would God have uh, Jacob and his family move down to Egypt so that 400 years later he could take them back to the land? You know, the same question comes up about why did God choose somebody? It's his business. I have not figured out the reason yet. But I know the reality of it. They started there. They went down to Egypt. They spent 430 years down in Egypt. And 400 years of that was in servitude. So that the word that was given to Abraham might be fulfilled. And that the the sin of the Amorites, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Now that's all God has to say about it. So we're just going to take that to the bank. Genesis 45, verses 18 through 23. Genesis 45, verses 18 through 23. Now, Joseph reveals himself to his brethren, and now he begins to talk about what he is going to provide for his father. His father is still over in Palestine. His father has not been down to Egypt. His sons have been down there. All of them have been down there now. One has been down there for some time, living down there. And he re- that one required all the brethren to show up, all the brothers to show up, and so they do. And here in uh, chapter 45 and verse 18, the scriptures say this, And take your father and your households and come unto me, and I will give you the good of the land of Egypt. I will give you the superlative, the best. Now that's what he's going to do. He is going to give his family the land of Goshen. He's going to give them some of the most fertile land, some of the best land of all. And that you shall eat the fat of the land. And in verse 19, it shares this. Now thou art commanded, this do ye, take your wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones, 
and for your wives, and bring your father, and come. Verse 20, and also regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. The same word that we found over there in the book of Zechariah. The goodness of his goodness. It is superlative. It is the best. And here Joseph is doing this for his family. He's giving them the absolute best that there is. There is, well, we read a little later too, that the Lord blesses them in special ways. When there's darkness in Egypt, there is light there. The Lord took care of them in the land of Goshen. And they had many herds, so they had grass to feed them. And then it goes on down here, and it tells us, And the children of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the commandment of Pharaoh, and gave them provision for the way. To all of them he gave each man changes of raiment, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of raiment, because he could and did and wanted to. Why does God give different gifts to different people? Because it's his business to do that. And it's without question from the church. And to his father he sent after this manner ten asses laden with good things of Egypt. That word good there is the same word that we find. He sent him the very best possible. The respect that he had. But it also shares with us the commentary that we're going to read over there in the book of Zechariah chapter 9. That when we're dealing with God, he gives the absolute best. Now when he gave his son, it is the absolute, well, we get to the conclusion of that. That that is the only sacrifice he could give. It's the only thing that would take care of sin. Jesus Christ is the only savior. He's the only sacrifice. He, He is the only atonement that that there is. God had gave the very best. Now, if you'll turn with me in the book of Exodus, chapter 33, we have the same word used. It's used in a little different context, but it's used about God. We find in this passage of Scripture that Moses desired to see God. No, I think that is the, 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 the request of every believer. Show me God. Well, here we are. This is the only place I can show you God. I had a man tell me the other day that he was, he was in his room and it was dark and God spoke to him verbally. And you know what? This is the only place. It is in the book. It's in the Bible. Now how God does that to you and how God does it to me, that's His sovereign pleasure. He speaks to us in different ways from different passages of Scripture. He doesn't just speak from John 3.16. I found out He's spoken to me in the book of Numbers. (laughs) In various ways. In the book of Leviticus, He speaks to His people. So that's His pleasure. Well, here in the book of, of Exodus chapter 33, Exodus chapter 33 and verse 18, Exodus 33 and verse 18, Moses He said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Now that is a wonderful request. But what his expectations were and what God gave him are two different things. God is going to share with him that he is, and it is the glory of God, and we delight in this glory, he is sovereign. He will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. That is his That is the glory of God, is His sovereignty and all the benefits of His sovereignty. Well, and He said, I will make all my goodness 
pass before thee. I'll make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious. Here's his goodness. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. You know that God would be gracious and God would be merciful to one person is all of grace. There is no room around it. We have no merit in this affair. It is grace. But since we read that he is going to show mercy and grace to a multitude, we rejoice. We rejoice in his grace and in his mercy. He says, I will be gracious in whom I will be gracious, and I'll show mercy to whom I'll show mercy. It's not up to man. It's not up to you. And, you know, I think probably Moses was a little surprised by what God's definition of goodness was. What God's definition of show me your glory was. Now just think of that. If you happen to know anything about the sovereignty of God in salvation, in this world, in disease, in peril, if you know anything, you're looking at the goodness of God that He would reveal that to you. goes on to say, And He said, Thou canst not see My face, for there shall no man see Me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I'll put thee in the cleft of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And we sing a, a song about being placed in the cleft of the rock. And who's that rock? And, and where do we find a place to be hid from? In Christ Jesus the Lord. And there alone. We have no place to hide outside of that. He places us in the cleft of the rock. Who placed him there? God placed him there. God delivered to him the greatest gift of all. He showed him his goodness. I will have mercy and I will have grace, but I'll do it to whom I will. How wonderful that is. And so another illustration of what that word means. Now this is the best grace and the best mercy. God is the provider of it. He is not slack concerning His grace. He's not slack concerning His mercy. He doesn't have a, a bad taste hidden. He doesn't put a sour pill in some applesauce and expect us to take it. It is gracious grace, and it is merciful mercy. And how great is that? Well, let's look again in the book of the Psalms as we think about this goodness of Him, the goodness of His mercy, the goodness of God. In the book of the Psalms, Psalm 40, uh, 25, Psalm 25, we are called on here as, as uh, sinners, yet mercy has been tendered to us, mercy has been given. I appreciate the illustration the Lord shared with us at a publican in the temple, and God gave him the grace to say, God be merciful to me a sinner, and when that man walked off, you know what the Lord said about him? Now it wasn't because he confessed that. He was only able to confess this because he was justified. That man went down to his house justified. Now that's why he could confess, God be merciful to me a sinner. God be merciful to me a sinner did not give his justification. But he was justified and God said, this is how a justified person will talk. Read the, the seventh and eighth chapter of the book of Romans. You find the apostle Paul is talking exactly the same way. That's us. 
That's, uh, that's where we are in this world. And when God saves us, there is a conflict that's going to be. Here in the, in the uh, Psalm, Psalm 25, verse 6, it says here, Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindness, for they have been ever of old, before the foundation of the world these started. God does not change his mind in time, but he had these characteristics and attributes before the foundation of the world towards his church. Remember not the sins of my youth, and please not the sins of my old age either. Nor my transgressions, according to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. Because of your goodness, remember me. You are the sovereign God. You're the Savior of your people. And as a result, remember me. And he goes on to tell us, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. Thank God around this table is a group that the Lord will teach. Sinners. He teaches sinners in the way. Now, we're born that way. We're going to die that way. But thank God He intervenes with us in this life and reveals Christ. And now He's going to teach us. He teaches His people the Word of God. He teaches us about God. He teaches us about the Son. He teaches us about salvation. How good is that? It is perfect goodness what God does for His people. In the 31st Psalm, Psalm 31, turn there with me if you would, Psalm 31, and in verse uh, 19, Psalm 31 and verse 19 it says, and this is the same word that we found in number, or excuse me, in the book of Zechariah, oh how great is thy goodness, it is superlative, concrete, the best, oh how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee because of the sins of men. How great is thy goodness. Superlative. Beyond compare. That's what we have in this one. And then over in the book of, of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 63, we have this word used again. Now, when we get to the New Testament, we find something else about God. It is the goodness. You know, I was raised in false religion that you had to be beat by the law until dead. And then God would save you if you cried enough. The scriptures kept, taught me it is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. He allures His people. He allures His people by His mercy, by His grace, by all of His attributes. He allures His people. Well, here in the book of Isaiah 63, Isaiah 63, we read these wonderful words, verse 7, Isaiah 63, and verse 7, the scripture says, I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all the Lord hath bestowed on us, and great goodness toward the house of Israel. Now he's speaking about the church there. That's where his goodness is toward the house of Israel, or the church. Now, he presented that from a, from a human standpoint to national Israel, and it was, it was not paid any attention to. It was not hinder, uh, hid, uh, heeded because they had no heart to do it. But when it comes to the church, and thy great 
goodness toward the church of, or the house of Israel, which he hath bestowed on them according to his mercies, than according to the multitude of his loving kindness. Boy, those are some big words that share that we got a whole lot when God saved us by Christ Jesus. We have his goodness. It is superlative, concrete, the very best. There is nothing that can be better than that. It is absolutely the best, and it never gets bad. It always, from our standpoint, gets better. The grace of God, the goodness of God, gets better over time as we learn, grow in grace, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So this great goodness towards the house of Israel, to how blessed is that, that he would be interested in putting his goodness upon his people. What is that goodness? We found that that with, re, with regard to Moses was, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I will have grace on whom I'll be gracious. I will, I will. And then as we read so often there in the book of Ezekiel, then you'll know where you really came from when we see his goodness. We know where we are. And then we thank him the more for his grace and his goodness. Well, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Hosea. Hosea is such an interesting book. If I ever get through Zechariah, we might go back to the book of Hosea. It is just, there's so much gospel in the book of Hosea. I, I just, it, to have God ask a man to go marry a woman of ill repute. And that is exactly what God did when He chose His bride in Christ before the foundation of the world. They were sinners. And the only way out for them was to be redeemed. And that's what we find. Alright, well in the book of Hosea, chapter 3. Hosea chapter 3 and verse 5. Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek their God and David their king. Now what encourages that? What causes anybody to seek God? We read in the book of Romans chapter 3, we read in the book of the Psalms, Psalm 14, there's none that seeketh after God. There's none that seeketh after Him. And then we find here, afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. Now we're... They really seek the, the David, the real David, the one that David prayed to, the Lord of David, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Now, what day is that? When God's grace reaches you. When God's mercy reaches you. That's the latter day. It's every day God saves somebody. That's the latter day. That's the day that the Lord has uh, bestowed upon us the greatness of His mercy and grace. In, in another, I think it's the very next, no, Nahum. I should have put my marker in there for Nahum. Nahum chapter 1. Nahum chapter 1 and verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. 
what goodness that is that God would know his people. And he had, he's a stronghold in the day of trouble. He's a, he's a fortress. He, is a, he wraps around his children as a hen doth wrap itself around his chicks. This is an illustration that we have with regard to the Lord. So he, the Lord is good everything he does. You know, every once in a while I have people say, well, the Lord is good. Well, he's never been bad. <laughs> Not once has the Lord ever been bad. He's always good, and his goodness is superlative. It is to the very highest order. It is goodness to the highest standard, to the highest order. It's God's goodness. It is heavenly goodness. And another place we want to look at is there was a man mentioned this. In the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew, they said, good master. Now the first thing the Lord did, and I've had... I've had religious say, you see, right there, the Lord said he wasn't God. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about that. In the book of Matthew, chapter 19, somebody came up to him and said, in verse 16, Behold, one came to him saying, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And the Lord didn't give him a, Well, get down on your knees, pray through... Uh, he didn't even say, trust me. He said unto him, why callest thou me good? Why did you call me good? Now, if you'd have known the answer to this, you'd have had the secret to it. But since you don't know the answer to this, why call me good? There's none good but one. That's God. Now, if you'd have really known me, you'd have recognized me as that. But since you didn't, there's a bigger problem here. What good thing shall I do? Now, I was asked that today by a young fella. He said, uh, someone comes to you and says, um, what, what must I do to be saved? I says, I'm sorry, there's no works in it. There's no works in it. Well, what do you mean? There is no works in it. When we say, what must I do? We are saying, what, can, what must I do? What, can, what kind of work can I do to be saved? It's of grace. Every bit of it is of grace. There is no work in it. And the work, the work of God, over there they came to Jesus and said, what can we do to do the works of God? And his answer was, the work of God is that thou shalt believe on me. Now that's God's work in us to cause us to believe. That's the work of God. It's not works of God, it's the work of God. And the goodness of God leads us to that. It's the goodness of God. As we find over in the book of Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, it's the goodness of God that leadeth us to repentance. And then we find out that that repentance was provided to us. It wasn't ours to begin with. Our repentance is based upon getting caught. That's all it is. It's human repentance. When it's given to us, we find out that we actually changed our mind about the gods that we did have and turned to the God that gave us repentance. We no longer have any dependence upon these gods. We are trusting God completely and totally without reservation. There's nothing else we're going to trust. And only God can give that to us. So... 
The goodness of God leads us to repentance. It's not the law. It's not beating. It is the goodness of God. It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's the good news about a Savior that actually intended to save people from their sins. That's the blessed gospel. A, a Redeemer that actually intended to redeem people from their sins. Now, the next part of that verse of Scripture that we had in the book of Zechariah says, How great is His beauty! How great is His goodness! How great is His beauty! Now, there's a couple of verses that we want to look at here with regard to His beauty, and one of them is found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 33. Isaiah, chapter 33. Another one is found in the book of the Song of Solomon, and we'll be there just momentarily. But in Isaiah chapter 33, verse 15, as we think about His goodness, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. His goodness is declared to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. Paul picks this up in the New Testament in the book of Romans and refers to that and then goes on to say, and whom I will, I harden. Now that's God's business. I'm just going to let it stand. I'm going to say that's the scripture. And I'm just going to let it stand. I'm not going to try to get involved in it. Because God's business is saving people. And that's what I'm enjoying. His salvation. Isaiah chapter 33. And there in verse 15, 16, and 17. He says, He that walketh upright, upright, walketh righteously and speaketh uprightly, he that despiseth the gain of oppressions, he that shaketh his hands from beholding of bribes, that stoppeth his ears from hearing of blood, and shutteth his eyes from seeing evil. Every one of those things is brought out in the book of Romans chapter 3. This is just a summation of natural man's condition, if you please. Over there, talks about blood, talks about eyes, talks about everything. And then he shall dwell in, on a high place, of defense shall he be uh, the munitions of rocks. Bread shall be given him. His water shall be sh uh, sure. Thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. They shall behold a land that is very far off. Well, we look into the heavens. But by faith we see it just as if it was ours. So look at that verse 16. He shall dwell on high. His place of defense shall be the munitions of rocks. It has an impregnable defense. That's what the Lord said. We're in the Father's hand. We're in His. I'm in His hand. I'll lose none. The defense is impregnable. Cannot get to God's people. Now God may permit us to be afflicted, but you know what? Paul summed it all up when he said, "All of these things fell out for the furtherance of the gospel." He was not angry with God. They fell out for the furtherance of the gospel. And then, as it tells us there, thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. What did Job say? Job said, I know my Redeemer liveth, and on the earth again shall stand. And though the worms eat my flesh, yet shall I see him. He had that faith given to him that he would see the glorious Lord. Now, Job was talking about the coming of the Lord and the coming of the Lord. Now, you know, 
to us in our day, we're looking forward to something just like Old Testament saints look forward to the Messiah coming. We're looking for the Messiah coming. We're looking for the return of Christ. We're looking for Him coming the second time. We're looking for Him just like they did. The same faith that they had that the Messiah would come is the faith given to the children of God today that the Messiah will come. It's no different. It's by faith. It's not by sight. We by faith trust what He had to say. We will observe this until His return. The communion. Until He comes again. Well, turn with me if you would to the book of Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. In the Song of Solomon, there's a conversation between the ladies and the lady. The ladies and the bride of Christ. Here in the Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. We're not going to read all of this. Uh, This whole chapter is so wonderful, but notice here in verse 9, the the ladies, the daughters of Jerusalem say, What is thy beloved more than another beloved, O thou fairest among women? What is thy beloved? Asking the bride, What is your beloved more than anybody else? What is thy beloved more than another beloved? What? Why? Why are you so attached to this one? Why don't you have this one? Why don't you have that one? They're all good looking guys. Why don't we have this idol? Or that idol? Or this idol? And she says, this is her answer, verse 10. My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among 10,000. She knew something about her beloved, just as the church knows something. This one is superlative above a myriad. Not just a thousand. Superlative of a myriad. John wrote about the Lord when he beheld His glory. How beautiful that was. And then it tells us in 1 John, which we have seen with our eyes and handled. What what glory, what beauty he was allowed to see. What beauty the church is allowed to see in Christ. That he's more than just a man. He is the Son of God. It's no wonder that religion doesn't recognize him as the Son of God. When God opens their heart in in salvation, they'll understand it completely. They'll have the belief given to them to know that He is the Son of God, that He's God the Son. There's no question about it. And then it tells us over there, and just in the few minutes I have left, it tells us about the corn shall uh, shall make the young man cheerful and new wine the maids. This last part of verse 17 of the book of Zechariah chapter 9, declares the results of God and His salvation as it, is re- as it relates to the elect. There is spiritual abundance 
That's what that corn and that wine talks about. There's a verse of scripture that we read not too long ago over in the book of Amos that shares with us much about this. Amos chapter 9. Amos chapter 9, verse 13. Now here's an illustration of abundance that the Lord gave the church in the Old Testament. The preacher Amos presented this to his congregation. The preacher Amos presented this to the church in the Old Testament and said, this is abundance. This is what it is like that all of the men are satisfied with the corn and all the maids with the new wine. It's not that they're going to get drunk and it's not that they're going to just have corn. It's a speaking about the abundance of the mercy of God. If, uh, if God would give His Son, wouldn't He give us all things? That's what Paul mentions in the book of Romans. So here in the book of, of Amos chapter 9 and verse 13, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper. What is that talking about? Well, if you've ever done any farming... And your crop is so good that you're reaping and right behind you is the plow to redo the ground. There is so much abundance that the, the plow is overtaking the reaper. Well, you're going to have to stop a bit. We've got some to reap. What's that mean? There's so much being harvested. And then it goes on to tell, tell us, and the treader of the grapes have that soweth the seed. We can't take, of it, take care of it un- quick enough. The abundance of the mercy of God, the abundance of every spiritual blessing is overwhelming. When we think we've come to the end of it, it is an abundance again. Grace and much more grace. Mercy and much more mercy. Love and much more love. There's no end to it. That's the illustration that he's making over here in the book of of, uh, uh, Zechariah chapter 9. God's spiritual blessings to His church is an overabundance. There is no lacking. There's no starving. There is not like the times when Israel was under siege and they were uh, buying uh, uneatable, unedible stuff for a great deal of money. That's not the way it is in the kingdom. In the kingdom of God, there is no money to buy it, and it's overabundant. It's so rich and glorious. And over there in the book of Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8 and verse 32, we have this brought out with regard to the Lord. He is our abundance. Oh my goodness, we never come to the end of the many blessings that Christ has provided to the church. We grow in grace and in the knowledge, and that's on a daily basis. We go back to the scriptures We're reminded constantly about the gospel as it's found in the scriptures. And here in the book of Romans chapter 8, and there in verse 32, how glorious is this? It says in verse 32, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, all that he intended to save, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? No lack. No lack. Look behind you. The plow is right behind you. There's such an abundance of groceries, spiritual blessings. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. How great is that? That is 
this uh, uh, freely given things of the Lord is to find out that we're justified and we're justified by God and nobody can lay a charge to us. And then, who is he that condemneth? You know, we may take a, a knack at that one once or twice a day, but the Lord doesn't. It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. And then he goes on with that beautiful statement made in the last part of this chapter 8 about his abundant mercy, abundant grace to the church. How this is. So, the... The young men shall have all the corn they want. And the ladies all the new wine. And the church together will have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. No lack. The only lack is us. Boy. Sometimes we take a beating. We beat ourselves. But all the spiritual blessings that fall out from heaven. And it's, I used to hear... Uh, the Lord's going to send the rain of blessings. Just put me under a drip. Well, it's bigger than just a single drip. It's everything God has for His people. Time and eternity are given to us. We have this life to discover some of it and eternity to discover the rest. What blessings. So, as we find, looking back at that passage of Scripture in the book of Zechariah, just one more time, as we close this wonderful chapter of the Gospel of Zechariah, for how great is his goodness. He's like Joseph giving the very best. And how great is his beauty. Oh, anybody that knows says he's one among a thousand. There's nothing like him. Corn shall make the young men cheerful and new wine the maids. And the spiritual blessings are overwhelming. We cannot come to the end. We cannot wear it out. We cannot. It is the blessings of God to the church. Now, Lord willing, we'll pick up with chapter 10 next week. Ask ye of the Lord, rain in the time of the latter rain, so the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to everyone grass in the field. Some more about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for joining us. And... Uh, Pray for us. Remember these requests and prayer too.